Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So uh, last weekend, I was out west visiting my parents and my sisters uh, for my folks' 50th wedding anniversary. And as uh, the five of us reconnected, we realized we had not done a, a family trip of, of just that uh, group since I was in college, which is some number of years ago. And what's interesting, whenever you get together with uh, family in a certain setting or friends in a certain setting that's unique, that hasn't happened in a while, you start reminiscing about uh, different experiences that you had or talking about different people uh, that you had known in high school or someone that my dad had worked with or whatever. And invariably, the conversation started going to like, hey, where did so-and-so end up? Did, did, uh, did Joe end up uh, move into Nashville like he said he was going to do? Or did he end up going all the way to the East Coast there? Did he come back? Where did he end up? Have you guys ever had these conversations with people? Um, where did so-and-so end up? Now, for those that know me, I have a kind of a morbid sense of humor. And my sisters know that I like to, you know, needle them with sarcasm and things like this a little bit. And so uh, in answer to all of this conversation about so-and-so ending up here, ending up there, I just made the side comment that um, we all end up in the grave. My sisters did not appreciate this at all. But it's true. It's true. That's where we end up. I mean, we don't spend a lot of time reflecting on it in our lives, but it's, it's where we end up. Usually whenever we're talking about someone ending up in some situation with their career or with family or whatever else, it's actually just a waypoint, right? It's not actually where you end. But even with my uh, dark humor, I'm not entirely right either, because Jesus tells you and I this morning that where we actually end up is his marriage feast. This is what he says about you and I. So whatever conversation someone might be having about you in the future and where you end up, they won't know what they're talking about unless they echo Jesus's words, that you end up at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And, you know, that's what's beautiful about great stories. I don't know if you guys have any particular favorite movies or novels or stories that end in a wedding. Can anyone think of any stories that end in a wedding? Can anyone tell me what they're thinking? <laughs> what's that? Cinderella ends in a wedding. Absolutely. Now, thank you for getting the mouse singing in my head with that reference. All right, Cinderella ends in a wedding. What else? What's that? Parent trap ends in a wedding. Oh, good one. I hadn't thought of that. Good. What else? Napoleon Dynamite ends in a wedding. Thank you, Brant. I would have never thought of that one. Excellent. And then, of course, any movie that ends with the word bride or has the word bride in it, princess bride, father of the bride, um, I was trying to think if Much Ado About Nothing ends in a wedding. Yeah. Hitch ends in a wedding. Guys and Dolls ends in a wedding. All right, so excellent stories, including Napoleon Dynamite, the greatest of all stories. And 
in a wedding. And where do you suppose people get this idea? From the Lord. This is what Jesus tells us, not just here, but I mean throughout his teaching in life, that where we end up is the wedding feast, a celebration. And I mean, what, just in and of itself, what a blessing to be reminded of that today when, when our lives have so much tunnel vision and we are so focused on whatever's right in front of me right now, to know that this is where you and I end up in feast and in celebration. Now, what does that mean for our lives right now? That's what I want to unpack as we look back through Revelation 19 together. What does it mean if we know where we end up? What does that mean for my life right now? And I got three things that we're going to look at. The first is the clothing that we wear. Uh, you heard it read there in John, or in, uh, yeah, in Revelation 19, this is a vision to John, that the bride is dressed in fine white linen, right? What do brides wear? White dresses. Who is the bride? You, right? The guys are like, nah, I'm not a bride. But yes, right? God's people, right? God's people, all who have been called uh, in Jesus are his bride, and you are clothed in white. And what this tells us is that whatever you think disqualifies you from attending this wedding, whatever sin you feel encumbered by, whatever failures haunt you, these do not disqualify you for the wedding. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Now, those are big churchy words, but you know, it's an interesting thing. In Revelation, uh, you get mixing of metaphors. So if we have any English teachers in here, you teach your students not to mix metaphors, but nobody taught John this when he received this revelation because you have a marriage feast of a lamb. How does that work? But earlier in Revelation, we discovered that the way in which our clothes or our dress is made pure white is by what? How does God wash us white? With blood of the lamb. You guys ever use blood to clean your clothes? It's right up there with chocolate as a great way to get stuff out, right? But with God, all things are possible. And so God clothes us in Christ's perfection, in his holiness. And what this means actually for you and I is that this is how God sees you now. Not just later, but now. In fact, when we do confession and absolution, I try to make a point of saying that this is just the truth of how God is seeing you. All of your sin is forgiven. Not just the things that you maybe remembered this last week and we have to play catch up, right? It's just an announcement of how God sees you in Jesus Christ that we need to hear again and again. And there's a fancy word for this, which I, I, I encourage fancy words if you can learn them, which is imputation. So if you're note takers, you can write this down imputation. Now, we usually don't use this word a lot uh, in English, although the short version of it we'll use for negative things. So you usually impute bad motives. You guys know what this is? So if your neighbor brings you something, they bring you a treat, right? They bring you some cookies, and you start to think, what do they want from me? What are they after? Right? What you're doing is you're imputing a negative motive to their actions. And people still use this in English. We, we tend to think of imputing as a negative thing. But God, uh, throughout Scripture, describes it as a positive thing. In other words, He, whatever we do, He imputes to us 
the perfect and pure motives of Jesus Christ. He sees us that way, and he treats us that way. And it has powerful effect in our lives. I had a friend of mine, so between college and seminary, I taught for a year at a Lutheran high school, and I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Still don't. And so I was asking him for some advice. He talked about classroom management and stuff, but one of the things that I saw him do with one of the students in his class, he had this one student, he taught freshmen, he had this one student in class that just had the worst attitude about everything all the time, curmudgeonly. And you could see all the other classmates treat that person, you know, like you expect, "Uh, keep away from that person, don't deal with them. And you would expect that all the other teachers that had this person to do the same thing, but not my buddy. He acted as if that student was the happiest, most well-adjusted, high-performing students in the class. He treated them like, well, like he wasn't. And over the course of the year, the, the change that I saw take place, I mean, it wasn't my student, I wasn't in that classroom, but the change that I saw through imputation, through treating this kid other than how they deserved, had an impact. And God does the same thing for you and I. He imputes to us the perfection of Jesus, and he treats us just accordingly. And when when John talks about the righteous deeds of the saints that flow out of us being clothed like this, what he's really describing is how this gets paid forward in our lives to others. When we don't respond in kind to how someone treats us in a particular way. When we can actually have that love of God flowing in our lives for others. And it's inexplicable. I mean, you can't make someone shape it like this, but the Spirit brings these things to bear in our lives in powerful ways that we can't always anticipate. And that's what's going on. So what this means for us to be clothed in white right now is that we don't spend our lives looking over our shoulders at all of our failures and our past. We actually look forward to what Jesus promises us in hope and in joy. That's the first one. Second one, John hears the voice of a great multitude. What's the greatest, what's one of the best meals you've ever eaten? And I am fishing for answers again. What's a great meal that you've had? Lamb chops. Not to be confused with the puppet. (laughs) What else? What's that? Well, give me a specific meal. Give me something like, not just the food itself. Like, what was, a, what was a meal experience? Grandma's house. Hot, making hot dish or something, right? Thanksgiving. What else? You guys are like, it's too early, don't make my mouth water for food. What's that? Christmas. Okay, very good. You know, my all-time, uh, the all-time best meal I've ever had I can't remember what I ate. Exactly. Why? You guys know what it was? It was my wedding. Yeah, it was my wedding. So at our wedding, we had all of our family and friends in town. Um, I had, we had exchange students when I was growing up, and some of these folks actually traveled from other parts of the world uh, to be at the wedding. And my father-in-law is a musician, and so he had this rock and band, live music uh, at the wedding that was amazing, and I have no recollection of what I ate. 
I mean, it obviously wasn't bad. I, I might have remembered that. And it reminds us that, you know, food matters, but company matters more. I've done a little bit of traveling uh, this summer. Like uh, last month, we were down in Houston for our youth gathering, and I did sneak away on occasion to eat a meal by myself. And sometimes I would uh, go to a restaurant where, like, the food was really good, but you know what? I was by myself. I mean, I could Instagram it, although I'm not on Instagram, but you can only take so many pictures of food to make it meaningful, right? Company is what actually matters for us. And Jesus shows us in Revelation that there is a great multitude that is praising. There is a great multitude that is at this feast. This reminds me of how Jesus describes God's kingdom in his parables because he talks about feasts pretty often. And in one of them, he sends the servants, the servants are sent out to invite people to the feast. Who do they invite? Everybody they find. He says, go out to the highways and the byways. If you see someone just sitting around, get them in here, right? Anyone and everyone is invited to my feast. Jesus says. Now, some of you guys forgot to mention that uh, the movies that always end in a wedding are Hallmark films, right? And, uh, and Hallmark movies are way too syrupy for me. I can't take it, right? It's just too authentic and genuine. I need some sarcasm, right? But, but what's beautiful about what Jesus shows us, it, it's just one of these things that sounds too syrupy for us, even though Jesus is saying it's true, that the people in your life that you have lost, that you love, will be with you at the feast. It sounds too hallmarkish in our cynical world, but it's true. This is what Jesus is saying. He, is call, he sends his servants out to the highway, to the end of the earth. And John in this vision sees a multitude. How many people is that? He can't count it. It's too great. It's like the sound of rushing waters. It's so powerful. And so what Jesus is telling you and I today is that we are reunited with him. As Buddy put it earlier, we enjoy God and each other for eternity. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this. And what this means for us right now, since the party is definitely happening, that our lives right now are all about invitation all about invitation, inviting others to Christ's wedding feast. That's the second thing. So we've got clothed in white, we have the voice of a great multitude, and third and final, we have the lamb at the center. The lamb is at the center. Now I mentioned that a wedding of a lamb doesn't make any sense in our minds, but the lamb image throughout scripture is an image of sacrifice, that, that there is purpose behind this feast. That Jesus lays his life down for you and for me. And we know that all the best celebrations have meaning behind them, right? Whether that's a birthday or the wedding uh, or Christmas or whatever these reasons are. You know, if we're just kind of coming up with a uh, celebrating for celebration's sake, it always feels kind of empty to us. But God reminds us that Beneath his celebration for us is purpose and meaning in our lives. Jesus, who is at the center of this vision, puts you at the center of his life and death and resurrection. 
And this is the way it has always been with God and feasting. If you go back to Leviticus 23, I know you guys were all reading that this morning on your own, probably, right? Um, Not an easy book to read through in the Old Testament. All the laws and and descriptions of the shape of life for, for God's people. But you know what's fascinating to me about it? Is you have this whole section in Leviticus 23 that is just about the feasts that Israel is supposed to celebrate every year. Do you know how many are in there? I'll give you a hint. It's a, it's a Bible number. Seven. That's right. Right? There are seven feasts. And they cover everything from the Passover, right? Where uh, Israel is rescued from slavery in Egypt to things like Pentecost or the, the Feast of First Fruits, which are really just harvest festivals. And you see throughout all of these feasts that whether it is miraculous or mundane, God is encouraging his people to celebrate his gifts to them, his action toward them. And the same is true for you and for me. We celebrate that God loves us and cares for us and provides for us in miraculous and in mundane ways. And this means right now that everything we have from God is a gift that is meant to be shared with others. So I want to take you back to that first question. Where do you end up? I hope you know and can say with confidence the answer that Jesus gives to you. You end up at his marriage feast. It all ends in a wedding, you guys. You are invited. And you invite others through his promise and through your acts of love and service. Life now is a gift that is meant to be shared. So people like to go on and on about what the purpose of life is, like Buddy and I were doing earlier. And there are no end of opinions and takes. And all of them have different levels of validity. But today, Jesus tells you and I flat out, the purpose is his feast that has no end. The party has already begun. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.